Thank you, Jesus. We worship the God who causes the darkness to tremble. We stand here in confidence because you are the one that we serve, Lord God. We can stand here in confidence because no matter how terrifying what we face may be, we serve the God that makes the very darkness that causes us to tremble, He causes the darkness to tremble today. And so, Father, we praise you for that, for that confidence that we can have in you in every single season in the midst of the storm. Thank you for that reminder today, God, uh, through Rochelle, through the lyrics of this song, Lord God, that when you came walking on the water, God, you calmed the storm in their minds before you calm the storm at sea. And we pray, God, that you would continue to do that today, God calm the storm in our minds and God today I believe that what you're going to do is you're going to deliver us from our fear and you're going to cause fear in the enemy because there is nothing that terrifies Satan more than God's people waking up to who they are in Jesus God's people stepping out of fear and into faith because you have given us power and authority over everything that he throws against us. So Father, set us free today. Let us step fully into that freedom you paid for. In Jesus' name, Father, calm those fears. Re release us from those fears, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Let's give it up for Bob, Mr. Fix-It here. We lost, a, we lost a foot on the table. And you know that would have drove me crazy with my ADD. It would have been like rocking back and forth, and I'd been fidgeting with it. So awesome. Wow. Well, good morning. Welcome to the gathering today. We are so excited to have you here at Fountain of Life Church. Is it wobbly? Oh, it passes the test. That's good. Okay, it's got it. Okay, there, now it's perfect, right? Amen. Let's give it up one more time for our worship team. Man, you know, the lyrics to a lot of those songs, I think, were just healthy reminders for us today, not only about fear and overcoming uh, fear and things like that, but just, um, man, sometimes to get God's truth in our heart, we sing it. It's, uh, you know, it's one, it's one thing to repeat something, but to put it to song. I believe God uh, created music to open up our hearts. Amen? So sometimes when we put God's truth to a song and we sing his truth over us, you don't always have to be feeling what you're singing. Amen? Sometimes you sing it in faith and the feelings begin to follow. And I'm just thankful for their ministry today. We are continuing our series on... Uh, uh, Mind Wars today, this is part two, and it's entitled Rewire, because how many of you know sometimes you've got a problem because there's a lie deeply embedded in your thinking, right? And sometimes it's a single thing that you can kind of pinpoint, but you know, sometimes it goes so deep that it's not just a single thought that we have a problem with, but it's an entire system of thinking, where uh, our brain needs to be completely rewired. 
And not only that, but, but maybe, maybe it is only one or two things you feel like you're really struggling with today, but what I, what I believe God wants to do in your life today is he wants to rewire your brain to think differently so that when you encounter the lies of the enemy, you'll already have a system of thinking in place to know exactly how to combat those lies with the truth. And so we're talking about this battle in the mind because although there are battles going on all around us, right? There's battles within our homes. Uh, there's arguments, right? There's disagreements. There's battles in the workplace. Uh, there's political battles in our nation today. But if we do not win the battle in our mind, then we walk into those other areas of conflict in our lives already defeated. How many of you believe I'm speaking the truth today? And so the battle in the mind is the most important one. And tragically, what you can find across churches all over the nation is that there are many Christians that continue to be trapped in a prison in their own mind, even though they've been given the keys to step out of that prison. It's like being locked behind a prison door that's unlocked the whole time, but you're locked because in your mind you believe the door is locked. And so during this series, we want to provide for you some tools to break free and stay free. Turn to your neighbor and say, stay free. I'll give you an example how this, how this works. Um, you know, to this day, I'm a little jumpy around electricity. Joshua Adams is you know, lost respect for me because this man, you know, works with electricity on a regular basis, right? You still respect me? Okay, I'm good. All right. And so uh, I'm, anything that has to do with wires, like I'm jumpy, I'm scared. Um, I'm the guy who I can't just like flip the breaker to the section of the house that I'm working on. I have to cut off the entire power to the whole house or I'm not touching anything, right? Well, where did this start? Well, I believe that there is an origin to this fear that I have. And it began at about age four or five, growing up in um, you know, a redneck trailer park in Tempe, Arizona. And I went over to see my friend and I wanted to see if he wanted to come out and play. And so I did what I always did. I came to the house, I rang the doorbell, right? Which is a device that is designed and wired to make a doorbell or a bell sound that goes through the whole house, right? So even if you're in the very back, you might not hear a knock but you'll hear the doorbell because it resonates to the entire home. And it leads to an open door and hopefully a warm greeting. And can Timmy come out and play? I don't even remember what his name was, actually. And yes, all right, let's go have fun. That's what I had planned. That's what happened uh, in my mind. But as I approached the doorbell, what I didn't recognize is that the wires were crossed and there were actually some exposed wires where the doorbell was supposed to be. And so out of habit, I just put my hand up there without looking and I put my hand on two live wires and it just, just really got me good. Did you like that? You want to see that again? All right. And so... Um, as painful as it was, it was way more terrifying than it was painful. And it, I was so traumatized that I started screaming and crying. And I ran. I sprinted all the way home to mommy um, crying because of what had just happened to me. It traumatized me. It scared me so much. And so to this day, I'm jumpy around it. And I try to uh, pretend I'm not scared. Like when someone's like, hey, um, my battery's dead. Do you have jumper cables? And I'm like, uh, I'm not sure if I had jumper cables. Uh, did you ask so-and-so, right? 
And I'm still like, wait, do you put the black one on first or the red one on first? You know, you ever do that? It's like a 50-50 chance and you can't remember. And you're like, okay, here's hoping for the best because if it sparks, I'm done, right? If it sparks, I'm just like, I'm not touching this thing anymore. And then you got the old jumper cables where the, the coating wears off of it. And you're like, okay, am I not protected anymore? Like if I, if I put it on there and I'm touching metal, am I going to die? Right? And I still kind of wrestle with that. Um, but I, I'm making progress. See, just the other day, I jumped my wife's vehicle, okay? The battery died. Successfully jumped it. I was not electrocuted. Um, actually, I wasn't. Look, all my hair fell out. Isn't that crazy? But in order for me to overcome this fear totally, um, and it is in large part an irrational fear. We should have respect for electricity, right, Josh? Right, because it can do some damage, right? But it's not to the point where I have to cut all power to the whole house to be able to change a light fixture in my home. And so for me to overcome this irrational fear, I have to rewire my brain to think differently about electricity. It's not just simply mind over matter or telling myself it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. But I have to address the, the root origin of that lie and, and combat it with the truth. And so before we get into the scriptures today at your tables, we want to discuss this question. What is a fear that you have successfully overcome? Maybe something that you carried from your childhood into your adulthood, but now you've overcome it. And now how did you have to change your thinking in order to do that, okay? So let's take about six minutes to discuss at our tables, and then we'll open up God's Word, see what He has to say to us today. All right. I'm going to hear about this one later. Like, Pastor Joe, why you're always making us be so vulnerable so early on, you're asking me to share some of my greatest fears in my table, but we heard everything about uh, from dogs to cockroaches to electricity. And uh, wow, cockroaches struck a nerve in the room. Man, you're not alone, Carson. I just, I just shared his greatest fear in front of everybody and the internet. Awesome. Well, so here's what I want to do. Um, you know, last week, although there were some practicals, um, today, I want to get really practical with you. And I just want to remind you, too, if you've got that handout at your table, follow along. Um, if you don't have one, does anybody not have one and you, and you want one? Go ahead and lift your hand up real quick. Okay, there's a few over here, a few over there. So those of you who know where they are, please start passing those out. Keep your hands up. They're coming around already. Um, but today, specifically, it's really important you take these home with you because today I'm giving you three exercises uh, that are actually from Craig Groeschel's book called uh, Winning the War in Your Mind. And you can take this packet home today and you can take some time to do these exercises at home. And I believe it's going to be something very helpful for you um, overcoming the war in your mind. And so as you follow along, um, not only do you go home and you ask yourself those questions, but there's also some margins where you can take some notes. So please make sure you're writing down anything that God may be speaking to you today. But this morning, I want to give you three steps to rewire your brain. And that's the main point of the message today, that we can rewire our brains, not just overcome one single thought, but change our system of thinking, change the way that we think. Okay, so our scripture today is going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. 
And Paul, and again, we've gone over this before. We're going to go over some of the same passages over these next few weeks, but highlight different portions of them. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, And so, dear uh, brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Because of all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice. Now, in the English Standard Version, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so we hear spiritual worship, and then we hear uh, in the New Living Translation, reasonable, the word reasonable, because, or because of all he has done for you. I guess it doesn't say reasonable. That's another version. But because of all he has done for you, it's saying this is the way that we should respond to everything that God has done for us. And so the first step to freedom, and you can write this down if you want, is surrender. And I put slash uh, repentance um, because surrender leads to repentance, okay? And so it's coming to Christ and saying, your ways are better than my ways. I can't figure this out on my own. And so I lay my life down before you and I turn. I, I used to think this way, but now I choose to think this way. I used to behave that way. Now I commit to behave this way. And so that's the first step to freedom. Here's what happens sometimes, church. Some of us continue to stay imprisoned because we keep living the lie that our life is our own, that it belongs to me, that it's about what I want, it's about my happiness, and that's what drives me. And as long as your personal happiness is what drives you, you will remain a slave to self. This is something that's amazing that Scripture uh, is very clear on, and it's astounding. It's, it's the beautiful irony of the gospel that true fear, freedom can only be found through slavery to Jesus Christ. Because we were created to be under authority from the beginning of time. You were created in his image to rule, which is awesome, but to rule alongside him under his authority. And so we are creatures that were created to be under authority. And so what happens, and remember when Jesus said, uh, no servant can serve two masters? Because he says you'll either despise one and love the other. And so in that context, he specifically says you can't serve both God and money, right? Or you could also say God and power or mankind, right? Because it's all driven by money and greed and power. And so you can't serve both. And so what Paul teaches us in Romans chapter 6 is that we're all a slave to something. So freedom is choosing your master wisely. Paul says that we used to be slaves to sin, have you ever felt like a slave to your own self? Just if you felt it, you acted upon it. If you thought it, you spoke it, even if it meant putting your foot in your mouth, right? If you had a desire and a craving, you did everything you could do to take hold of it, regardless of the consequences and how damaging it might have been to yourself or to your relationships. That's how sin works. We become a slave to self. And so what's so crazy, and this is what makes this such a huge rut for us, is oftentimes when we desire to be free, we're fighting to be free from God. We're, we're trying to step out from underneath his authority 
believing that that's freedom. But in reality, what we do is we switch from a good master who is a heavenly father who wants what's best for us. He says, I have come that you might have life and life to the fullness. And we're trading in that master for a master that says, I'm going to use your own passions and desires to kill, still, and destroy you. And so the first step to freedom has got to be surrender. So he goes on to say in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And that word renewal is where we're getting this term rewired today. It says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Number one, the first thing that we need to do to begin to rewire our brain is to recognize your ruts recognize your ruts. Now, what is a rut? A rut is something you unintentionally fall into and continue to follow in the same pattern wherever that rut leads. So I, I know you guys hear me talk about my childhood a lot, and so I hope you're not tired of it. But I grew up in a small dirt town called Geisela, Arizona, where you could just take your dirt bikes out, and all you had to do was cross the street. And there were endless trails to just race around on dirt bikes. And so I remember doing that. And it was after a rainy day and the roads were still a bit, bit muddy. And apparently some other people had been driving around on those muddy roads before me because they left behind what? Ruts. And so I'm driving along and I'm picking up speed because I'm an adrenaline junkie. And all of a sudden my front tire slides into one of those ruts. This particular rut led toward the ditch, away from the path. And I feel the motorcycle begin to follow that rut. So naturally, I do what logic tells me to do. I don't want to go that way. I'm going to turn the other way. But guess what happened? I continued to slide along in that rut all the way into the ditch. Because there was a pattern that had been deeply entrenched before me. And so instead of me now driving, I am now simply along for the ride. And this is how sin works. And this is how the battle in your mind is lost. Is you encounter a different path and you say, that looks different. That looks interesting. That looks enticing. That looks like a path I want to explore. And so as you encounter that different path, you decide to explore it. And before you know it, you're no longer in control, but just along for the ride. Think about it. Every bad habit started the first time you tried it, right? And so he says, do not be conformed. In other words, what Paul is saying, do not fall into the ruts in your mind that sin creates. That word conformed in the Greek is from this Greek word where the, the first part of that word means identified with and the second part having outward shape. And so what it means is assuming a similar outward form by following the same pattern. Let me put it this way. We become conformed to the world by the ruts in our mind. We've all experienced this. Haven't we? It, it, it began with the first time you were uh, overwhelmed with stress or depression or insecurity, and you decided that you're going to try to eat away your depressed feelings with chocolate, 
right? And immediately it was gratifying. It made you feel better. And you kept doing it because your brain told you this is right. This is good. It makes you feel better. And of course, as that develops into a habit, it leads to all sorts of problems like diabetes and clogged arteries and all these other things, right? Or the first time you thought of yourself as a victim who can never win. And so a lot of times you fail to even start anything new because you felt like you were doomed to fail before you even start. And so you've been living in this paralysis, right? Uh, Or the first time you responded to a a bad experience by going shopping and spending way too much money. And now you find yourself in debt. Maybe you responded to hurt by secluding yourself and pushing everyone else away. And so you feel safer in isolation, yet you still carry that hurt because God wants to heal you in community. See, all these choices quickly become ruts that you continue to follow, leaving you repeating the same destructive patterns over and over again. And newsflash, this happens to believers too. This happens to Christians all the time. Because even though we have access to the truth and even though the Spirit of God lives in us, we have to make a daily decision to walk in the Spirit. And when we fail to do that, we find ourselves falling into old ruts that God wants to replace with truth. So how does this make sense scientifically? Here's something very incredible. We've spent a little bit of time talking about this in church, about neuroplasticity, right? that your brain is actually plastic. It's, it's a, what's the word, malleable? Is that the right word? Right, it's, it, it changes shape and form. And so when you, uh, let's say you start a bad habit, it starts with you experiencing something, your brain produces a chemical called dopamine. And as a result of that dopamine, it causes these connective cells to start firing off these signals to the point where it begins to form a literal rut in your mind. They call them neuropathways. And so if you ever see a picture of a human brain, it's full of all these wrinkles. It's, it's kind of nasty looking, right? And those wrinkles represent deeply embedded thought patterns. And so just as if um, I was riding that dirt bike down the road in the same rut over and over and over again, the more I travel that rut, the deeper that rut gets. And so that's what happens. What we just described a few moments ago is actually making a physical change in here. This, this blew my mind this morning as I was praying. I was brought back to the scripture uh, where I think it was Jeremiah that God gave Jeremiah a vision of the potter. And there was this ball of clay. And as he began to shape the ball of clay, it says it became misshapen. And so what does he do? Does he pick it up and throw it away? No, it says he mashes it back down together again and he starts all over And we sing a song, you are the potter, I am the clay, mold me and shape me, this is what I pray, right? Did I get the lyrics right? When we sing that song, not only are we speaking metaphorically, but there's a physical connection there. That the reason why we're able to be changed, the reason why we're able to be transformed is because our brain can physically be altered in such a way that it changes how we think and how we behave. It's amazing. 
God has created us uniquely that way, that we have free will and we have the ability through his power to transform the way we think. And so uh, to stop falling into these ruts, we have to first recognize them. We have to identify where our ruts are and what they are. And so in your handouts, today when you go home, there's a spot for you to do this very simple exercise. And for any of these, if you need extra space, I encourage you actually to use a journal um, because you'll have more room to write your thoughts. But in this first one, it's just simple. It's, it says, write it down. Write down the lies that have created ruts in your thinking. And then go to prayer, go to God in prayer and ask him to help you discover the origin of those ruts. So you write them down. Like, this is a lie that in my mind, in my head, on a surface level, I know it's not true, but deep down within me, I feel like it is. Those thoughts, write them down. And then take those before the Lord one by one. God, how long have I believed this lie? What's the origin of this lie? What was the first moment where I accepted this is truth? And ask him to reveal that to you and write it down. Now, this exercise is going to tie into the next two exercises that I'm going to share with you later, but we'll put a pin in that for now. So, he says, do not be conformed, but he says, be transformed. Check out this word transformed. One of my favorite Greek words in the New Testament, I never know if I'm pronouncing it right, but it's metamorpho-oo. That's what I'm going to say, because it sounds fun to say it like that, right? Metamorpho-oo. Everybody say that right now. Metamorpho-oo. Okay, some of you participated, whatever. All right, so the first part of that meta means change. Listen to this, after being with. Change after being with. In morpho'u, changing form in keeping with inner reality. So it's a change that happens based on what's happening on the inside. And it says transformed after being with, transfigured. That's a pretty amazing word, transfigured. That's what they said about Jesus when all of a sudden he shone bright in, in glory and beside him on his right and left were, um, I'm gonna mess it up, Elijah and Moses, thank you, right? And so he revealed himself in all of his glory. He was transfigured. And so what this is saying is that the transformation that takes place within us through the power of God's Holy Spirit by changing the way we think brings us to another level of reflecting God's glory. Let me put it this way for you. You are conformed by falling into a pattern but you are transformed by being in the presence of God. Let me say that one more time. You are conformed by falling into a pattern, but you are transformed by being in the presence of God. The problem is sometimes it's our patterns of thinking that keep us from intentionally entering into God's presence on a regular basis. Sometimes because of the lies that we believe, they serve as roadblocks between the, the intimacy that we are supposed to have between us and God. But as we attack those patterns and attack those lies with God's help, here's what happens. As we draw near to him, his word says he draws near to us and we are transformed. So I don't care this morning how long you've been stuck in the same rut. Maybe you're a child here this morning and you have gotten into so much trouble with your parents, you feel like that's just who you are, I'm just a bad kid and I'm just stuck there. 
Maybe you're a parent and you're like, I have failed so many times as a parent to teach my child in the way they should go that I'm just a bad parent and you're, and you're wearing that label. Maybe you are a follower of Christ that's been following him for 40, 50, 60 years and you're like, if I haven't broken free from this wrong way of thinking by now, then it's too late for me. I'm here to tell you this morning, church, that the presence of Jesus can chill, still transform you. He goes on to say that you, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. It says, then by the testing, you may discern what is the will of God. See, those ruts that we form in our mind, they do so much more than serve as a point of frustration in our life. Ah, oh, that's just a pesky little habit that I just can't seem to kick. But what they do is they keep you from knowing God's will for your life. They keep you from stepping in to what God has for you. As we were praying this morning in the prayer closet, I felt God speak to me and he said, today there are callings and purposes that are going to be realized, remembered, and received. Because there are some of us in here today that we've been unable to hear God's call, to realize God's call, because we've already disqualified ourselves. There's some of us in here that we received a call at, a, at an earlier time, at a younger age, but that call died because of lies that we accepted as truth. And so we put it on the back burner. We know it's still there, but we refuse to confront it. And we say, that was, in, that was in my past. Maybe it was just an emotional moment. Maybe I just got caught up in what was going on. But obviously, I can't do that because I'm not like A, B, C, D, and the list goes on. And then there are some that we've, we've received, or we, we've, we've heard the calling, we've recognized the calling, we've realized the calling, but we just can't step into it. We just can't receive it. We keep putting it off and saying, I'm not there yet. I have to wait until I'm qualified. And God's saying, I'm going to remove those lies so that you can realize, recognize, and receive the calling and step into it. So these ruts do so much more. They cause you to remain in confusion. And so being in the presence of God on a regular basis will expose those ruts and lead you to truth. So once we recognize them, how do we climb out of these ruts? That was a trick question. We don't climb. We dig. Turn to your neighbor and say, dig. <laughs> Number two is we dig a trench of truth. See, truth has to be so much more than a resolution, right? How many of you have ever had a failed New Year's revolu resolution? Revolution maybe too, yeah, right? <laughs> Have you noticed that they rarely seem to work? I mean, am I the only one that's been down that path? Like, I'm going to work out every day starting tomorrow, right? Then you wake up the next day and you're like, I feel like trash. I'm going to start tomorrow, right? And it just goes on and on and on. Maybe you said to yourself, I'm going to quit smoking or drinking tomorrow. And then the day comes and you just don't feel the same. I'm going to eat healthy and exercise every day. This is the last time I ever looked at pornography. I'm kicking that habit out of my life. It's destroying me. I, I swear from this day forward, I will never look at it again. And then we stumble and we fall again. 
On a lighter note, have you ever seen that guy that posts on Facebook? Goodbye, Facebook. Goodbye, social media. I'm done with all the drama. And then two days later, they're commenting on somebody else's post. Why does that happen? Why does that take place? It comes down to this. If we fail to address the root of the problem, we will remain in the rut. Have you ever noticed that you don't have to plant weeds? It's got to be a part of the curse, right? A part of the fall of man when sin entered the world, right? Because I, you can go out there and you can plant a garden, right? And if anything goes wrong, there's, there's too much sun, uh, the drip system stops functioning properly, those plants die. But yet we live in the middle of a desert and weeds will just start popping up the next day after a rain. It's like, how did they grow so fast? And what happens is you can go out there to pull the weeds, which I always prefer. I used to spray, but then what I realized was I wasn't actually getting rid of my weeds. I was just making them look sick. And so now I have a yard full of weeds that look and I'm like, I might as well just let them bloom, you know, at least I add a little color to the yard, right? But then sometimes you go to pull the weeds, and when you pull them up, they just break. And that's the worst thing ever, right? Because you know when you hear that snap, stupid thing's going to spring up again tomorrow, right? And there's nothing better and more satisfying, though. I'll tell you this. I don't enjoy pulling weeds, but there's something very satisfactory when you get down there and you just feel it slowly come up by the whole room. It's like, and you're like, and it still has a clump of dirt still connected to it, right? There's something really satisfying about that because you know that that is the end of that pesky weed. But see, this is how our thoughts work. We have to dig a trench of truth. We have to address it at the root uh, because it will always go back. The, the weed always grows back as long as the root remains and the root or the source of life to your problem is that same way. The thought that feeds the behavior is the root. So why do we spend all this time talking about it? Why don't you just get prayed over and zap your better, right? Because if you still believe the lie, then you're still uh, giving life to the thought that feeds that behavior. So Paul says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. This is where we get that word rewired today. That word renewal means completing a process. Somebody say it's a process. Make fresh new. That's the second part of it. So put it together. It's, it's a new development, a renewal achieved by God's power. In other words, transformation comes when we complete the process of rewiring our brain by the power of God. See, this has a lot less to do with the old rut and much more to do with the new trench. Let me say that one more time. It has less to do with the old rut and more to do with the new trench of truth that you're digging. Uh, when we go to the to the beach every year on vacation, uh, something that we regularly do is grandma and grandpa always get there first, right? And grandma will start digging a pit. And uh, she does it um, for a specific reason, and she's totally manipulated her grandchildren to think that this is fun, right? 
and you're going to enjoy digging this hole, right? But in reality, what she's doing is she doesn't want to sit too far from the coast because then someone will come and sit in front of us. So you sit close enough to the water where the person says, if I sit in front of them, I'm going to get soaking wet. But then she digs a trench, piles up the dirt on the front of the or a pit at the front of the pit so that if a surge comes, it's redirected by the mound we've placed there. And then it wraps around and it fills the hole. And then the kids have a little swimming pool to play in. Right. And so she has manipulated them into spending 60 minutes just shoveling. And I'm like, I can't even get my kids to go outside and pull weeds. You've got them shoveling sand aimlessly for 60 minutes. What is your secret? How can I make pulling weeds fun, right? And so it redirects the water away from us, forming a pool for them to play in. See, a rut doesn't just fill itself up when you turn out of it. That's why we can't be like, ah, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's not always that simple, depending on how deep the rut is. And so what you have to do is you have to start a new trench. Think about it. If you have a raging river and it's going uh, down a path you don't want it to go, is your approach going to be, I'm going to take a shovel and I'm going to begin to throw dirt on this river? How long is that going to take you to redirect that river? It's probably impossible, right? Because as soon as that dirt hits, it's going to just wash down with the rest of the river. But what you could do is you could start a new trench. And you could say, okay, I have all these thoughts flowing by at 100 miles an hour. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to dig a trench next to it. But here's the key. That trench has to be deeper than the rut. Because what happens is as I dig a, a deep, deep trench of truth, then that water is going to go to the lowest point. And so it's going to be redirected into the, a better, healthier, life-giving direction so that that water can get to where it needs to get and so that the land can thrive. And this is how our mind works, is that we have to dig a deeper trench of truth that becomes the new path that the water takes. So how do we dig this trench? It reminds me of what David said in Psalm 119.11. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. There's hearing God's word. There's reading God's word. There's listening to God's word. There's even listening to teachings on God's word. And then there's a whole nother level, which is hiding his word in your heart. We need to do more than just know his word or listen to lots of sermons or Christian podcasts. We have to internalize it. We have to hide it in our hearts. And I believe, church, that we've lost this practice with the invention of the smartphone. Even to the point where I'm trying to break myself of the habit of not carrying this around because I already have it here, which is great. Technology's awesome. Right. But I say it again, like I've said many times, this doesn't have push notifications to distract me. I won't open it up and be like, oh, I got an email. Let me read that first and then close it, forgetting I even opened it up to read it to begin with. Right. And it's so great that we have answers to God's word. Like I can say, hey, Google, what does the Bible say about marriage? And it's going to answer my question. I don't have the volume up, but I can have answers from God's word and I can use technology. That's great, right? Here's the problem with that. That might produce answers, but will it produce change? 
Change comes when you know the truth so well that you rattle it off the top of your head with ease. When we hide God's word in our heart, it begins to form a trench of truth and a new neural pathway in your brain. I just love that, that finally I can take a metaphor and there's something physical about it, right? That's, that's actually happening. That as I hide God's word in my, uh, my heart, I mean, maybe even right now, some of you, there, there could be just the beginnings of a new neural pathway forming as you're starting to receive and accept this truth. But if you want it to be a deep trench of truth, you have to hide it in your heart. And so here's what happens, right? You direct the water. It goes into the new trench of truth. Now, what happens to the old rut? This is going to blow your mind. I found this in, a, in, in an article online at edutopia.org by Sarah Bernard. She says, when, we, when people stop practicing new things, so this could be a good thing or a bad thing, right? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a good thing, but when people stop practicing new things, it says the brain will eventually eliminate or prune the connecting cells that formed the pathway. So I think this was written in a negative sense, like you can forget how to do something, right? Because you stop practicing. But there's some certain things that we're practicing right now that we need to forget, amen? And so what we're taught here is that this is how God has made our, our brains redeemable, no matter how twisted they've become, no matter how much they've been exposed to drugs and alcohol and abuse and the trauma of your past, that you can dig a new trench of truth so that that old rut is no longer useful and it gets pruned and it begins to disappear as new trenches are formed. That means that through the application of God's word, we can undo much of the damage caused by our old ways of thinking. You may in here today, you may be in here today, and you're saying to yourself, man, my brain is so far gone, I don't think there's any hope in me becoming like the person that this, this book says that I can become. And I'm telling you, even science backs up what this ancient book says. It's not outdated. It's not irrelevant. It is exactly the truth. And if you'll apply it to your life, then the transformation that it can produce in you is astounding. So here's our next exercise. And you'll see this in your, in your handout. It's called Declarations. Declarations. You guys know what a declaration is. Anybody ever heard of the Declaration of Independence? Right? It's a declaration of truth. It's, it's really, it's a statement of faith. It's something that you're declaring so that it becomes and remains a reality in your life. And so here's an example. I was sharing this earlier with a group of you. But when I first came to this church, I left a season of ministry that in many ways was disappointing to me. In many ways, I looked at as a failure. And it was short-sighted. Um, I had, I had a very specific goals. And because I didn't meet those goals, I automatically assumed that that season at that church was a failure. And, um, and I struggled. And one of the biggest areas I struggled in was in communication, in preaching, and I would constantly compare myself to other preachers. And I'd be like, I'm not dynamic and charismatic like Stephen Furtick, right? Or I'm not uh, smooth and, 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 uh, and cool like T.D. Jakes, right? Or I'm just throwing out random names, right? Or I can't speak. I can't articulate like that person. And so I'm never going to be successful because I'm boring as a speaker. I can't capture the attention of my audience. And I came into this church as a volunteer carrying that weight. 
And I remember how God began to heal me through this beautiful church. Because you guys were so loving and so welcoming that God created a safe place for me to step out in faith. And not only uh, did I begin to trust his word, but I began to trust the people. I felt loved here. And I remember the first time I spoke, I walked off of that uh, platform that day thinking, I have never felt so comfortable. And this is the largest crowd I've ever spoken to. At that time, there was probably two to 250 people. And it was just amazing. And here's part of that process. I came across truth. And you'll see here, you start with the lie. What is the lie? So the lie was you don't have what it takes. This was me. You're not like these other successful preachers. And so you'll never be successful. You'll never reach a lot of people for Jesus. But the truth I found was in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And this is Paul. Paul, the man who wrote a majority of the New Testament, who planted churches all over the place, who was uh, recognized for his authority. God chose him to be a missionary to the Gentiles. And this is what he says about himself. He says in verse 3, I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling. Paul came in weakness, timid and trembling. He says, in my message and my preaching were very plain. Wow. He goes on to say, rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul, a character in God's word, a, a fixture in, in, in biblical history, someone that I admired and put on a huge pedestal, said that he came in fear and trembling and his preaching was plain and he relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. And I said, if this man can be used by God, Christianity is here today because of what Paul did. Do you understand that? Raise your hand if you're a Gentile in the room. That's most of you. We're here today because of what Paul did, and he, he relied simply on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I have a declaration that I want to share with you, and it is this. I am called, and I am chosen by God. He did not choose me because I was naturally strong and gifted, but he chose me because of who I am in him. I'm nothing on my own, but I have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. I'm not impactful because of my own words, but because I have been entrusted with God's word, which is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It started out where I had to make a statement like that before I spoke to calm my nerves so that I could settle in. And I would say stuff like, I'm thankful that I don't have to have all the answers. I'm thankful that I don't have to be the most dynamic, gifted speaker you've ever had because I hold within my hands the most powerful book ever written. And if this word gets into your soul, it's going to change you. It's going to transform you. It's going to flip your world upside down. And so I put my confidence in him. I put my confidence in his word. And guess what happened? I began to see more giftings come out of me. But I had to put him first. I rely on him. I began to become more creative. I began to become more confident as a speaker. Why am I sharing, you with, sharing this with you? Because it applies to each and every one of us. But here's the deal, which I want you to go home and do this exercise. But as great as this exercise is, it's not a quick fix. 
It is limited to your level of consistency. Touch somebody on the shoulder and say consistency. And that leads me to my final point today. The word is ruminate. Ruminate. Anybody ever heard this word ruminate before? In other words, the truth trench must be deeper than the lie rut. Let me say that again. Maybe you should write that down in your notes. The truth trench must be deeper than the lie rut. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to look at this passage that we already looked at last week, but in this new light. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep, somebody say keep. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. The Amplified Bible takes a portion of this scripture and puts it this way. It says, think continually on these things. Center your mind on them and implant them in your heart. That brings a whole nother level to it, doesn't it? That's how God's word works. There's so much more beneath the surface. And in order for you to get everything out of it that God has for you, it's going to take some time, some intentionality, and some consistency or persistence. Do you remember that old Tootsie Roll pop commercial with the owl? And the character's like, hey, Mr. Owl, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Roll pop? So the owl goes, well, let me see. One, two, three. And he bites into the middle of it, hands it back, and he says, three is your answer. See, I think we take that approach to the battle in our mind way too often. I tried it once, nothing changed. I even tried it twice, and nothing changed. Maybe I even tried it three times, and I'm still feeling like I'm trapped in this rut. Let me tell you something, church, you cannot just bite into the chewy center of your soul. But it takes continuous licking. I know that sounds really weird. But it takes time and repetition. And just as you're licking a lollipop, it just removes layer at a time, layer at a time, layer at a time until you get down to the core of what's really going on. I had a man tell me once, uh, he was giving me a free mentoring session as a pastor. And he was giving me things to do. And he said, but wait, there's a disclaimer. He said, if you cannot be consistent, don't even bother. Because what I'm telling you won't work unless you relentlessly practice it again and again. That word ruminate, it actually comes from, it's a word that describes what cows do when they eat. If you have a weak stomach right now, 
I apologize in advance. But what cows do is they eat the grass, they chew it, they swallow it, vomit it back up again, chew it some more, swallow it, vomit it back up again, chew it some more, swallow it, back up, chew it, swallow it, back up, chew it, swallow it, multiple times. Why do they do that? It's the only way that they can pull the full amount of nutrition out of the grass. The Word of God, church, has unimaginable depth and power for your life. But you will never uh, reach its full potential and impact in your life if you continue to skim the surface. The Word of God needs to be ruminated upon. It needs to be meditated upon. And you can't receive all it has from you simply by a, a five-minute devotional plan on your YouVersion app. Those are great places to start. But I'm telling you right now that God has so much more for you. You got to chew on it. You got to meditate on it in order to pull out all that God has for you. So this is your final exercise to take home with you today. Choose a verse, and it might be from the, one of the verses you picked from the last, the previous exercise, right? the truth that you're pulling out to combat the lie. And instead of just, you memorize it, yeah, that's good, that's a good start, but not even just memorizing it, but look intently at each word and phrase, one at a time. Don't make any assumptions or skip a single word. Understand that every single word is inspired by God. Sometimes it might be an if, and, or but that illuminates it and makes it sink in. Then take it another level. Type your scripture reference into a search engine and look for online Bible commentaries. My favorite go-to website is biblehub.com. And on there you can find commentaries. Uh, you can do Greek and Hebrew studies. And so you can look at that word and say, okay, I know what that word means in English kind of, but what does it mean in the original Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic, whatever, whatever it was originally written in? And what you'll find is just as I often will teach you that way, that God's word, I mean, doesn't it make sense that if it's inspired by God, it's gonna have a lot of depth to it? You can't just skim across it and be like, okay, that's good. But you can dig deeper and deeper and deeper and receive more and more and more. It's why you can read the Bible through over and over and over again and get something new out of it every single time. And finally, thirdly, ask God, the author of the word, to speak to your heart about anything specific he might want to say to you through your verse or passage and write it down. Rumination and meditation is a big part of why God commands us to practice communion, which we're about to do in just a moment. See, on the surface, when we take communion, and you'll see, we've got four tables here. In just a moment, we're gonna dismiss you guys to go get, you'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. There's juice in the top cup, and if you pull it out, there's a little cracker in the bottom of the other one. On the surface, it just seems like this neat little um, traditional thing we do where we have a little, little sample together that reminds us, you know what, Jesus loved you, and he died on a cross. But when you look deeper, there's so much more under that surface. When he says, Jesus, when the first time he taught his disciples about communion, 
He said, do this in remembrance of me. What he was saying was, don't forget what I did, what it cost, and what it means for you, lest your heart grow cold and you fall back into the same ruts over and over again. Communion was designed to keep us from falling back into old ruts by reminding us of what we were saved from, by reminding us of the price that was paid, by reminding us what is possible because he first loved us. And so when we do this today, we do this in remembrance of everything that he suffered and everything that he attained for us. You might be in this room today and you say, you know what, this stuff is compelling. Maybe you've even been able to experience some physical sensations. You're like, I felt goosebumps today. Um, I felt something I never felt before. It could be God exposing you to his presence and calling you in. And you're saying, you know, a lot of the stuff you talk about makes sense scientifically. I wanna apply it to my life. But I'm thinking there's probably a whole lot more to this than what I know, and you're right. See, the truth is every single one of you have been created in his image, and God created you to be with him in relationship. But the problem is there's this thing called sin, which is what we've been talking about. We have behaved in certain ways, thought in certain ways that have formed negative neural pathways in our mind that serve as a wedge between us and him. And we carry the guilt of those wrong choices. The gospel teaches us that sin, it can't be removed by our good deeds. So it's not like, okay, I did 10 bad things. I have to do 10 good things. Scripture teaches us that we can't undo the wrong that's been done. But because he loves us so much, he paid the price for your sins by giving his life in your place. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That means we have hell to pay because we rebelled against our very own creator. But God says, I know you deserve it, but my love's gonna win out. I love you so much. I'm not willing to sit and watch you enter into eternity without me. And so he came and he put flesh on and he became a man, fully God and fully man, and he died in your place. The Bible teaches us that everyone who receives him as Lord and Savior of their lives has eternal life with him. And that life with Jesus can start today. And so I just want to give a quick invitation before we go to take communion together to invite some of you to enter into a relationship with Jesus, to receive forgiveness for the sins that separate you from him, so that today you can take communion with us for the first time as a believer, as a brand new member of the family of God. So if you're in the room and you say, you know what, I hear you, Joe, and I hear the Spirit of God drawing me unto salvation, I wanna receive him as my Lord and Savior, is that you? Can you just lift up your hand real quick so that we can pray and celebrate with you? We just don't wanna celebrate the best decision you've ever made. Anybody in the room? Okay. Anybody online, if you're watching right now, I just invite you to pray this prayer with me. 
if you want to accept him as your savior. So everybody in here, would you guys bow your heads, close your eyes and repeat this prayer after me. And those online, repeat this prayer with us. Say, Father God, I need to hear you guys in the audience too. Father God, thank you for loving me so much that you didn't let my sin keep me from coming to you. But you sent your son Jesus to die in my place. And he rose from the dead, proving that he is God. Forgive me of my sins. I choose to turn away from them and live for you from this day forward. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want us to clap right now to give God praise for those who prayed that prayer for the first time, whether they're here in person or watching online. So here's what I want. I want to invite you all to stand. This is how we're going to close our gathering today. There are four tables, two on this side, two on that side. Go ahead, make your way out of your seats, grab the elements. You can go ahead and come back to your tables with them and go ahead and be seated. And we're going to partake in this remembrance together. and be seated and let's take some time right now to think about what this really represents go ahead and separate those two cups and I want you to pull out we use oyster crackers which I think is kind of funny but they're very handy they work well and what this cracker represents and what it's supposed to remind us of is that God loved you so much that he was willing to come near. So what that means is that because of our sin and imperfection and because we live in dying bodies, that if God were to show up in all his glory, we'd all be dead. And the only way that God could truly come near was to put on a body like yours and mine. So this represents that he came near, that he suffered the same things that we suffer that he overcame temptation. He was tempted in the same ways that we are, but yet he didn't sin. That he felt pain. And ultimately, he took punishment upon his flesh for us. The Bible says that he was whipped and beaten to the point where his skin was shredded to pieces. And it says that by his stripes, we are being healed. And he took the penalty that we deserved upon his back. And so when he sat together with his disciples before all this was about to happen, he said, this is my body. He took a piece of bread, they broke it. They each got a piece. And he said, this represents my body 
that was broken for you. As Father, right now, we take the time to remember what you suffered for us and that you came near. We couldn't come to you, but you loved us so much that you came to us. So Father, as we partake in this together, God, I pray for everyone whose body is suffering from the brokenness of sin and sickness. I pray that you would just uh, minister to them in healing, Father God, in forgiveness today. We thank you and we give you praise. Amen. Let's take the cracker together. And finally, he passed a cup and he said, this is my blood. It was shed for the remission of your sins. So this reminds us that not only did he take punishment, but he spilled every last drop of blood. That he had the ability to come down off the cross if it became too much for him to bear. He said he could call his angels down at any moment. But how many of you know that whatever God starts, he finishes? In his final words, as he hung on that cross and bled that last drop of blood and breathed his last, was it is finished. And because of what he did and the blood that he shed, my sins are forgiven. They're wiped away. They are no more. And I'm made brand new in him. So Father, we thank you for the blood that you shed for us. And we receive your mercy and forgiveness and grace today. And we choose to live our lives in remembrance of what you've done so that our servitude comes out of a place of gratitude that we live to please our heavenly father who loved us so much. How can we not be transformed by this love? We thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take it together. Now I wanna invite you to pray with me. Father, before we leave today, God, I pray that you would seal this word in our heart, God. Father, that you would not allow us to forget, but as we do this in remembrance of you, that we would remember your truth. I pray, God, that we would go home and we would take these uh, handouts with us. We would go through these exercises. And God, as a result, God, we would go to our life groups, God, sharing testimonies and stories of what you did in us and the breakthrough we received in our mind. I thank you that you've called us to freedom. And who you set free is free indeed, Father. Let us fully step into the call that you've placed upon our lives, no longer hindered, no longer weakened, no longer held back by lies. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Let's just give God a hand clap of praise this morning. I am so looking forward to hearing how uh, your conversations go in your life groups this week. And I just want to encourage you as well that if you don't have a life group, um, first of all, you can try one. Um, I, can, I can introduce you to some leaders that um, have room for you. But also maybe you can find a family member or someone to kind of share what God is speaking into your life. But please take these exercises seriously. Take them home. Do them. I believe God's going to do something incredible in your life. Amen? All right. 
So as we transition, uh, we're gonna transition into a time of giving before we leave today. Um, but before we do that, I just wanna let you know some important things that are coming up before you leave today. So first, we have our fall festival that is right around the corner. And um, we are partnering with the school here, Scholars Academy. We need your candy donations so that we can bless the community uh, kids with candy. We also need you to sign up to decorate a trunk and come with a game, a carnival style game prepared for them to play. And so you can sign up on our app. You'll also find a link in there to some Pinterest ideas of what you can do to your vehicles. But this is just an opportunity for us to love on the community and create a bridge so that they can receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Great opportunity. Uh, secondly, uh, tonight we have an open mic night. So if you or someone you know um, has a, a talent and they are looking for an outlet, an opportunity to share that gift with other people, uh, tonight right here at the church at 6 p.m., uh, you can sign up online to be a part of that. Maybe you sing, maybe you do poetry, spoken word, maybe you play an instrument. Um, this is something for you to come out and be a part of. It's a community engagement event, a chance for us to connect with people outside of the church. How many of you think that's a pretty cool thing? Lastly, um, we are uh, uh, heading up another trip to the Short Creek Dream Center uh, to minister up there to the people of Short Creek. Uh, and there's an informational meeting next Sunday following the gathering. And so make sure you're here next week and make sure you attend that meeting so you can find out all you need to know about that upcoming trip. Sound good? All right, would you stand with me one more time? And we're just gonna pray a prayer, a blessing over the offering. Don't forget to give on your way out. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity today, God, as we have received from you freely, God, that you would use our generosity to God, flip that blessing and to be a blessing to others. And so Father, bless us as we give today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. Have a wonderful day. Don't forget to give on your way out. We'll see you again next time.